Alright, so tonight, what's been kind of heavy on me is, I guess partially because I guess, in, in a sense, I've kind of been dealing with it myself. I think one of, this is one of those messages that I studied for it, it did help me too. So, um, I just kind of, as I was building on it, I just realized, you know, this is something that I feel like multiple of us probably need to hear. But um, the, the whole point of it was just dealing with discouragement, and I think that's something we are all dealing with to some extent, uh, discouragement finding us somewhere and, uh, just different things going on in life, especially with school and, you know, with the sports and everything coming up. And like, of course you'd say you're nervous and I mean, we all go through it in some sense, but I want to kind of do a lesson on how can we overcome that discouragement that so often comes on us. So I want to start by reading Psalm 120. And all of Psalm 120 is just seven verses, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, Starting verse one, it says, In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Delivered, or deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I dwell in Meschich, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So, you know, I branched off of that, but I was just, you know, really trying to dive into we have to understand what discouragement truly is. Like, where does it come from? Why does it hit us the way that it does? And... I do, like kind of dove into the actual word because the word is described as a verb. Um, and of course, we know a verb is something that you do. It's, you know, an action. So discouragement comes as a verb and it has roots in a French word. And I'm definitely not going to pronounce the French word correctly, but it's, it, it looks like it's descourager, which comes from des, meaning away, and courage or courage. Uh, so when you discourage someone, you can think of it as taking his courage or enthusiasm away. That was a full um, description that I got when I looked up the word. So in more simple terms, to be discouraged means that your enthusiasm has been taken away from you. So that's one of the ways that we can kind of know that we're falling into discouragement is that you're that it, something that you were enthusiastic about. All of a sudden, you're not so enthusiastic about it anymore because discouragement has hit you so hard. And, you know, every one of us deals with some form of discouragement, whether we realize it or not. So we have to understand that being discouraged is a a very normal thing. Like, it's not something that only you are going through. And just because other people don't show it as much doesn't mean they're not going through it as well. So we all go through it in some sense. But the thing is, if we can learn to recognize discouragement, it becomes easier for us to pinpoint it and to overcome it. Uh, so some of the signs of discouragement, when I was kind of looking up the word, actually got like a little bullet point of different ways that you can tell if you're falling into discouragement. And some of the points that popped up was you'll feel unwilling to accept new tasks. You won't feel excited to get up most days. You won't see the impact of your work. You don't feel like you have advancement opportunities and you lack focus. Now, these bullet points, when they popped up, I mean, it was kind of like God was giving me, like, stepping stones. Like, here's your points. So, you know, when I read them, like, I knew that's kind of where he was leading me. So, 
you know, looking at that, I realized, you know, that really does sound like a lot of our everyday lives. Like we go through those things, maybe not every single day, but, you know, from a weekly basis, we'll go through those things. And if you're in that place where it is your everyday life, you're eventually going to give up on ever feeling better. And that's like the deepest part of discouragement where you just feel like giving up. And part of the reason that we're going to struggle with overcoming discouragement is that we try to overcome it all at once rather than doing baby steps and really trying to over. Because what happens is if we try to tackle it all at once, we're going to fail. And that brings even more discouragement. So your lack of being able to overcome discouragement gave you more discouragement. But that's because we, we try to go about it the wrong way. We try to overcome it the wrong way. So we have to learn to take baby steps. So I want to look at the first point uh, that was in that list. And it said a lack of wanting to start something new. So in other words, that's when you've lost your motivation to keep pushing for something else. So when you've lost your motivation to try, I feel like that's a lot of times step number one for us. Because we have turned off wanting to proceed further than where we're at. And we may not recognize that as being discouragement, but that's what we're falling into. And, um, you know, if we don't have motivation to keep doing something, we don't have any drive to try anymore. And that's dangerous for us. It's dangerous for us mentally. It's dangerous for us spiritually. And, I mean, we're, we'll get into a daze. And the thing is, you know, as, as Christians, what better place can we find motivation than the Bible? I mean, that's where we, sh- where we should turn is to the Bible. And I looked at Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the thoughts as I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So if we accept that verse of Scripture as truth, that's our motivation. Like that's God's direct word saying that he knows what he has in store for, for us. He has a plan for our life. He wants to give us peace. He wants to give us uh get us away from evil. He wants to give us a future and a hope. I mean, that's a promise that he gave to us. So that should be motivation enough for us. But in order for us to have that peace, future, and hope, we have to live life based off of his thoughts of us. And a lot of times we don't base our life off of his thoughts of us. We'll base our life off of our thoughts of us. And that's why we so often can't get to that point of understanding his peace and his love and his joy because we're focused so so much on what our own minds are lying to us about and you know i've kind of opened up about it before but like i've told you in the past my own thoughts of me was okay well i'm overweight i could stand to lose a little bit of weight and like if i focused on that so much and there was a point in time that i did you know i got to a point where i obsessed over that to a point that i got unhealthy and even when i was skinny I didn't feel skinny because I was going off of my thoughts of me and those thoughts would not change because those were embedded in me. So I was going off of what I thought and because of that, I could never get past that speed bump. That was a speed bump that was going to constantly stay there. So, you know, I remember I always thought that if I would get skinny, I'd be happy. And I realized very quickly that that wasn't the case because I didn't find happiness when I got there. I was still miserable. I still wasn't happy with how I looked. But then the moment that God saved me, And I realized he doesn't make mistakes. He built me the way that I am for a reason. Because the thing is, I've always heard people say, oh, well, I'm big boned. And then when I actually got really skinny, I looking back and pictures of me, I can kind of see that because my hip bones are very wide. So as soon as I started eating again and taking care of myself, the weight came right back. And so I had to understand, okay, God built me this way on for a purpose. There was a reason that he built me this way. And then I became more confident because I went on... Thinking, okay, well, if I'm built this way, that's how he meant for me to be. That was his thoughts of me. 
his thoughts of my structure when he made me. So when I went off of his thoughts rather than my own, I found confidence and peace and joy that I did not have before. And that's the only way that I found it because I quit focusing on my thoughts of me and instead focused on his thoughts of me. And like I said, whenever I started eating again, where the weight came back so fast, I, it almost felt like if y'all know the Tim Allen Santa Claus movie, when, he, when he's becoming Santa and all of a sudden he just gets really fat out of nowhere. That's what it felt like. <laughs> like as soon as I started eating again, because I went from a double XL shirt down to a size large shirt. And then within a, what, two weeks, I was already going back up a size. I wasn't even eating like crap, which was a weird thing. Like I was just eating regular normal meals and it came right back. So like I felt like it was so fast that that's what I've compared it to is Tim Allen, Santa Claus, when he just gets fat and like overnight, that's what it felt like. <laughs> but like I was confident at that point because I knew, okay, there's a purpose for this. There's a purpose why I am this size. And even if I didn't understand why, you know, it could have already served its purpose and I didn't know. But there's a purpose of why he built me the way that I am. Huh? To keep you warm? That's enough, right? <laughs> but, so, but what I ended up realizing later on is that what his thoughts of, like when he built me and maybe this way, that was his thoughts of me. But his thoughts of me were actually for the longest time one of my biggest insecurities. And because of that, we, me and God couldn't be on the same page because I was constantly battling with who he made me to be. Because I was trying to fight it and I was trying to change that and I can't change that. I can't physically change that about myself. So what should have been my part of my identity was one of my biggest insecurities. And that's something that would lead me to discouragement so often. But I had to understand there was a reason for it. And that's how I overcame that discouragement. And I think that happens to a lot of us where we have to learn to let these things be, become more of our identity more than it is our insecurities. Because God does not make mistakes. He, he had you go through things for a reason. He, he built you the way you are for a reason, put you in situations for a reason. And even if we can't understand them, we, sometimes we need to absorb them and realize, okay, God, what are you doing with this? Why am I going through this? Why, why am I the way that I am? And I think that that helps us a lot of times to get past discouragement, just figuring out identity over insecurities. So the next uh, sign that, that uh, popped up there was lacking excitement to get up every day. And I think that really points towards how much you're going to value each day that you have. Because if you wake up every day and you're like, ah, just, and I mean, we're all guilty of it. We wake up, like, man, I just really don't want to get up. You don't want to go to school. We don't want to go to work. And we wake up every day just like, blah. We don't want to do it. And we don't realize it in the moment, but we're learning to devalue our days by doing that. Because we should honestly realize that every day we wake up is a blessing. And, you know, you've got the Psalm uh, from Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's like, okay, I should wake up very happy that I'm awake, but that just doesn't happen every day. That's just reality. But that's a form of discouragement. That I'm not excited to wake up. I'm not excited because what's happened is I have fallen into the trap of repetition. And if we fall into a trap of repetition, that's when we start to go through motions. And when we go through motions, we're living life based on what we know rather than what we need. And when we're doing that, that is what leads us a lot of times to discouragement because we, we're kind of 
numb to our day-to-day life. We're not, we're not living every day with a purpose. We're just going through the motions of it, just letting, letting the day lead us. And that will lead us to discouragement. That will lead us to bad times. So, <clears throat> you know, I think that's why we can get so excited. Like, for example, we just went on vacation and we got really excited because it was changing that routine, changing that repetition. So when we change that repetition, we get out of that, we get excited. And that's why when you get a a new car, when you get something new, you get a game system, new phone, you get excited because you've changed the repetition a little bit. You've gotten out of that repetitive motion and now you've got a little bit of excitement, right? And I think we all go through that. Like, And why is it we get excited? Because we've learned to get out of that repetition, at least for that moment of time. Then we quickly fall right back into repetition, quickly fall right back into discouragement. And... You know, another form of discouragement that, that was in that list was not seeing the worth of your work or the worth of your existence. And I don't know, I feel like you see it more and more, especially with teenagers, that they feel like their existence is like the world could go on without them. I, I feel like a lot of people start going through that. And the thing is, like like I said earlier, God doesn't make a mistake. And you got to realize God created the earth Everything on it, in it, and around it. Because, I mean, he knew what we needed. But even after creating all of that, he still created you because you had purpose to serve. And if he doesn't make mistakes, there was a reason he put you here. There was a reason that that you're still alive. There's a reason you're still breathing. So the fact that God's seen value in creating you should give you enough motivation to realize, okay, I do have purpose to wake up today. I do have something to offer to this world. And I looked at Psalm 139. I'm reading a lot out of Psalm today. Uh, but Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. I think that's one of those verses that we hear all the time about being fearfully and wonderfully made. But I guess a lot of people don't ever really dig into what this fearfully and wonderfully made mean now when you're looking at the hebrew uh, word where we got fearfully in this context at least it came from a word that means to revere to revere means that it's respected in all meaning when god created you he was in all of you because you got to think our the human body is so intricate intricate okay the human body is so intricate and because there's so much to us, like, it couldn't just happen on mistake. Like, he had to take some time to create you. There was a purpose of why he done that. There's a purpose of why he went through the time of creating you. Why he, he went through the effort of doing it. So, when we fall into this lie of thinking that we don't have worth, then we're kind of telling God that, that he was wrong in even putting us here. And that's our bodies talking. That's not what God told us. That's what your own, like... Not even, I won't even say us, but it's one of the things that the devil will use against you to try to just get you to give up. And anyways, you know, if we, if we were to wake up every day and realize that and see our value, then, then that's going to help kind of melt away some of that discouragement. Uh, another form of discouragement is feeling like we have no more room to grow. Like, we, like we've reached our peak. There's nothing else that I can offer, right? A lot of us can get there. And... I've also heard it like you you can pair it with people saying I have nothing left to live for. I've heard people say that. So that it pretty much comes to when you you start to feel inadequate in your life. And I thought I, I thought about Moses because you know Moses grew up in royalty, 
And growing up in royalty, you know, he had everything that he could have ever wanted. Everything was given to him. And then there came a point in time that he realized that's not where he should have been. He realized who he re- where, who we really came from. And he realized that the people that they had been holding captives as slaves were actually his people. When he realized that, he goes out and he murders one of the guards that is treating, I mean, he's basically beating the guy to death. So Moses goes and he beats that guy to death. And then he flees because he's like, oh no, you know, he's pretty much like shocked. So now he runs out, he's just spending time in the desert. And he's basically finding busy work. He's keeping himself busy. But at this point in time, he's like, okay, I just need to stay out, just do whatever I need to do until I die. That's kind of where his mindset is because he's just in the desert. Just basically doing busy work. And then a time came where God calls out to him and asks him, hey, you need to go back to Egypt. You need to free your people from slavery. Now, at this point in time, Moses was probably about 80 years old. And you can see by looking at some of the uh, excuses that he began to give God that he was in that uh, place of feeling inadequate. If you look at Exodus 4, verses 10 through 13, it says, And Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow to tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So we were seeing that Moses was saying, okay, I'm not the one. Please go with somebody else. So he felt inadequate. We can see that by scripture. He felt inadequate. And, you know, the thing is, if God is calling you to do something, if he's putting something on your life, on he's stirring something up for you, we have to realize that there are 7 billion people on this earth. And God knows every single one of us. But he's choosing you specifically to do that thing in that moment for that person, for that group of people, whatever the case is. Out of 7 billion people, you were the best one for the job. And that should be like the greatest compliment to you as a person because God looked at you and said you are the best person that could be here in this moment. And I think that should speak very loud. Um, and I don't think we think about that too often because we just try to run away from it. But God is looking specifically at you in those moments. So, you know, if you are the best choice to pray with somebody, you're the, you're the best person. He's looking at your background. He's looking at everything you went through and he's using those things. And it starts to show you purpose of why you went through stuff depending on who he's telling you to talk to or what he's telling you to go through. So, you know, kind of looking at all that, the final point and being discouraged was having a lack of focus. And I think that happens to all of us. But we do fall into very, what's the word, very uh, frequent lacks of focus. Um, and I mean, I'm the same way. I'll, I'll get to where I completely lose focus sometimes. And that's just, that, that can be in many areas of your life. It, you know, not just church, not just you know, reading your Bible, but just lack of focus on why am I waking up every day? Like, what's the purpose? If we lose lack of focus on that, and that gets us going into a bad place too. But um, I think a lot of times we just kind of mark that as we feel off, like something just ain't right. And because 
like what's happening is mine went blank. Um, we can be in like a really good place physically. We can be in a really good place, like have good grades, you know, be you know, have the things that we thought we wanted. We can be following all these steps that we've kind of went over. We can be following all that. But like mentally, you're just not there. Something's off. You can't, you can't stay focused on the task at hand. And that is another sign of showing that there's, there, there's something holding you back. And I think that's usually, honestly, for a lot of people, that's the start of discouragement for many people. And if we understand that in the beginning, that when I'm losing focus, all this other stuff's going to come with it. Well, if we can realize that in the beginning and, and catch it early, then it's going to help us in the long run. But we lose focus, and then next thing we know, that's when we're falling into the repetitive things where we just start going through the motion of stuff, and then it just builds up from there. And, we, and before we know it, we're just completely numb to everything around us. So we have to like realize when we're starting to lose focus on, on where we're at. And I think a lot of times, how can we get out of that losing focus and a lot of times it just means we have to start something new like we something's got to change right because like i said if you, you when you get a new phone when you you start something new that's when your excitement comes back so sometimes we just have to change things and uh we, we have to keep our eyes on on the goal of whatever we feel like we're called to do or what, what we're supposed to be doing and i looked at matthew 14 verses 22 through 32 and it says immediately uh jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. Uh, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the uh, waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him uh, walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then when it, they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And, you know, looking at that story, I mean, you can, obviously Peter had very strong faith because he literally like went against any human logic to step out on the water. Like human logic tells you, don't do that. You're going <laughs> to go in the water. But he had more faith than his logic that he thought, okay, if Jesus is telling me to go try to walk in this water, I'm going to do it. And that was the ultimate focus on his faith. Focus on his goal. He was focused on Christ. Going towards where he knew he was being called to go. And he did that really, really good, at least for a few moments. And then just like we all fall into, distraction came that got him off focus. When he got off focus, he goes down in the water. And when we lose focus, that's exactly what happens to us. And, you know, when you're looking at that scripture, I think it shows us specifically that Jesus is very merciful. Because even though he lost focus... And when the water and it starts to sink, Jesus immediately came and pulled him back up. So, like I said, like we have to understand that it is normal to fall into these discouraging moments 
But also we have to understand that Jesus is going to be there to pick us up, try to help us through it, try to get us back in the right place. And if you realize when they got back on the boat, the storm stopped. So even though he failed in that moment, when Jesus came back and got them, everything stopped. And it was like a start over. And that's like we can get in the same places, but I don't think that we often realize how far into that discouragement we get. So we have to understand that you know, yeah, like Jesus was merciful, but he also spoke to Peter and said, you have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Little, you had little faith. We, we want to have a big faith. We want our faith to overcome those doubts. We want our faith to overcome the logic. We want our faith to overcome the discouragement. Because big faith will save us from many things, not just, you know, hell, not just the demons, but it will also save us from discouragement. So, at least, at least dealing with discouragement, I think it's easier for us to deal with than we often would like to think. Because like I said, we try to do it all at once and then fall into more discouragement because we fail in it. So if we learn to take the baby steps, it makes it a lot easier. But ultimately, we have to go and keep our focus on Christ in order to get all that stuff to stop. Anybody have any questions or anything?